If you were to ask probably about 90% or more of Christians what worship is, the answer you'd probably get was, was something that originates in, in here in my heart or in my feelings and, and rises up to God. And so for most Christians, worship is something uh, that, that I create and I offer to God. This idea that worship is something that, that's spiritual and, and so it can't be seen. It's felt and so it has to be conjured up. And this is why you need to go to church to, to conjure up uh, and, and have these feelings that, that, that rise up to God. But contrast that with what Paul says worship is. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This is your appropriate worship. This means a few things. First, this isn't church. Paul is speaking of the whole of the Christian life. The entire Christian life is one of worship. Now, this doesn't mean that there isn't worship at church or that there isn't a, a sacrificial aspect to what we do at church, that, that we do raise things up and give things to God or offer things to God. But it's not the main thing. Our Lutheran confessions speak of worship in, in two ways. That there's this worship of love, us giving our, our thanks and our praise uh, uh, to God in response, and the worship of the gospel, which is God giving us his gifts, us receiving from God. And this is the main part. And God is abundantly happy with that, us simply receiving. Jesus said, I came not to serve or not to, not to be served, but to serve. The primary direction for what happens here at church then is, is not up. It's not our service or our gifts to God, but it's down. God's gifts and service to us. It's for this reason that, reason that Lutherans have historically, uh, that we haven't called what we do on Sunday mornings worship. We call it the divine service. God serving us. A second, if Paul says that worship means to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, this isn't just something spiritual or personal or, or, or felt or inside of you. This is something physical, something uh, that doesn't just live here in your heart, but, but encompasses your whole life, your whole body, and at more times than just merely an hour on Sunday mornings. In the Old Testament, life was structured around regular sacrifices at the temple. These sacrifices were, were made by putting animals to death. And the temple was constantly in use day after day with, with people sacrificing animals, putting them to death, and they were never enough. But Christ came and offered himself as the once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of, of all people and replaced the need for such regular and daily sacrifices. So God doesn't need us to offer dead things to him. He wants our whole lives to be living sacrifices. So how do we do that? Well, again, worship is not just a feeling that we offer to God. It's actually lived out in our real lives. And technically, we, we can't serve God directly, 
We worship and we serve God when we serve other people. James writes in his epistle that worship is this. He says, Worship is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. It's to serve others that God has placed in our paths, in our various vocations. But that doesn't mean it's natural. In fact, as Paul says, it's a sacrifice. It's difficult. Every single one of us have different people in our lives to serve. You don't need to go out looking for people to serve. God has placed them right in front of you. We don't even need to, to go out and, and cross the ocean on a mission trip to serve other people. God has placed people right in front of you who need your help. And in fact, for some of us, it's our kids. On the other end, it's our parents. And doing what is best for them is, is not always the easiest. In fact, it's probably the opposite of the pattern of the world. Oddly, there's a tendency in our world for, for people to, to kind of shirk their responsibility for those closest to them. And that includes their children. And it's especially true of children's faith. Our world tends to take a very hands-off approach to faith and education, uh, believing that, that, that children's faith education is someone else's job, like, like the church's, or, or believing that kids shouldn't be taught the faith at all and instead be left to, to make up their minds when they get older. There was a recent study that was published that, that found that this approach overwhelmingly fails. The only thing that does is, is turn children off from Christianity because they were never instructed as to what the true Christian faith actually is. In fact, the number one reason for children remaining in the church was whether or not faith was taught at home. I want, you to take you, I want to take you to our gospel lesson for a moment. And maybe you notice something odd in our gospel lesson of the boy Jesus in the temple. On the way back home, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. In fact, it took them three days to find Jesus. Now, how do you lose Jesus? How do you lose the Son of God? And part of it was probably them thinking, well, it, it's somebody else's job. He's with his relatives. He's with his cousins. He's with John the Baptist. He, he's fine. And Mary and Joseph were not exempt from this type of thinking either. But we, before we criticize them too harshly, realize what it was they were doing. They were returning from Jerusalem, attending the Feast of the Passover. Now, this was one of three yearly trips that they would have made to the temple in Jerusalem for the Passover, uh, for, the, for Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. And they would do this to, to go to church, to travel many miles to go to church for a special festival. And this was no easy trip. It took about five days to reach Jerusalem. And, and while they didn't have to worry about a snowstorm or, or ice, they did have to worry about thieves and, and robbers and, and wild animals along the way. And so this is why they would travel in, in big groups. And so Jesus wouldn't have been expected to go even until he was 13. But here he is at age 12, and this is something that, that they've done many times before probably. In fact, if they had done this trip before with Jesus, 
the idea of them losing Jesus makes a whole lot more sense. Because this has become so routine. And Jesus seemed like just, just an ordinary kid. On other trips, perhaps, he had played with his cousins on the trip. So that's what they're thinking this time. He's with them. But of course, Jesus is not there. He's doing something better. He's in the house of his heavenly father, the temple. And he's astonishing, he's amazing, the priests and the pastors there with how much he knows. And we think, well, of course he knows all this. He's God. But realize, this is Jesus not doing a miracle here. This is Jesus as a true man, as a 12-year-old boy. He's not knowing all this stuff as God. He's knowing all this stuff as man. Everything he knows here, he learned as a boy. And where from? From his parents. From Mary and Joseph. For Mary and Joseph, it looked like going to the temple weekly, reading the Old Testament scriptures at home, and attending the special major festivals of the, of the church in Jerusalem. And can you imagine having not just daily devotion and, and weekly church, but also the, the, the major festivals of the church here would be such a part of your routine that, that you don't even really think about it? And not that losing your, your son is a, is, is a good thing, but that that's how routine it actually is. There's a time-tested lesson that, that routines or repetition is the, is the number one method of learning. There's a reason God told his people in Deuteronomy 6. He said, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and there shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And the repetition that we use here at church is for kids, too. There's a reason we do things over and over again. There's a reason why we use the same texts every week. The, the Kyrie, the Lord have mercy, the Gloria, glory be to God on high, the Creed. And we might put them to different music, but the texts stay the same. And we're not simply trying to, to create a feeling in you, a feeling of worship, although there's nothing wrong with that. Instead, we want to instill in you the truths of the merciful God, a God that is unchanging in our ever-changing ever world and our ever-changing lives. A lot of people think that church is for adults. And kids, well, well, they won't really get much out of it, so they don't really need to be here. In fact, our, our society is, is overwhelmingly, uh, uh, the attitude is, is very individualistic and, and kind of selfish. What, what can I get out of church? And if I have kids here, and particularly young kids, will they hinder my worship? But again, what is worship? It's not an attitude that you lift to God. It's not an act that you would do. It's your whole life lived out in service to other people. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your appropriate worship. And I love that term, appropriate worship. 
St. Paul clarifies that the worship for one person is going to be different than that of another person. He says, not all the members have the same function. Worship for a mother or father is going to look differently than, than, than worship for, for someone else. Worship for those without kids might look different from those uh, who are struggling. In fact, it might look like uh, they're assisting those who are struggling. And no matter what station of life God has placed you in, you might not always get something out of worship. But that doesn't mean God isn't working, and it doesn't mean God isn't working through you. In fact, your presence, your very being here, your simply being here, has more of an impact on those around you than you know. This is your worship, your service to other people. And you come here to let God serve you, not, not as individuals, but as a church, as the body of Christ, members of, of the one body of Christ. And know this, if you're struggling in some way, you're not alone. This is why God has brought us all together to help each other, to be and do uh, what we as individuals could not do. That doesn't mean that, that if you want a date night, you should drop your kids off here at church and lose them for three days. I love all the kids in our congregation, but, but a lock-in once a year is enough for me. <laughs> Rather, each one of us can help do what we can and, and help each other do as the 12-year-old Jesus did and grow in, in wisdom and stature. And the fact that even Jesus grew in wisdom and stature means that, that with each new vocation that, that Jesus took on, he did each one perfectly. We can't fulfill our vocations perfectly. Uh, for those of us who are parents, we, we haven't been, been, been always faithful parents. Uh, we haven't always been faithful children. But as we grow in our vocations and our wisdom and our understanding of God, the way we see God and His mercy grows. And even the way that we see the laws God puts in place, these instructions for us, and even His chastisements, those things that we're suffering and struggling with. When I was a kid, I, I didn't understand why my parents uh, did some things, why they sent me to my room and, uh, when I talked back to them or did something. And now I do. And I thought of myself then, as St. Paul says, more highly than I ought. But the funny thing is, as we grow and mature, we actually get more humble. And so it is with, with growing in God's Word. As we grow and mature in God's Word, the lower we get in our humility. And the deeper we get into Christ's sacrifice, into God's holy love. And the more closely do we come as members of the one body of Christ. We need to keep growing as individuals in the faith, but we, but we do that together as a congregation. We worship together and we grow together. And as we grow, we see Jesus has come to us. Jesus comes to us and he helps us through the hands and the lips of one another. And most importantly, he comes to us through ordinary means of his body and blood. Jesus has literally offered his whole body, his whole self, as a sacrifice to God for you. 
And even if you seem to get nothing out of a sermon on a particular Sunday, for whatever reason, Jesus still comes to you personally in his body and blood to give you the very same blessings, to forgive your sins, to forgive your and my sins of not being a faithful child or a faithful parent, to strengthen you, to do better in your vocation, and to be with you as you go on your way. Let me just close with this blessing, which is part of our baptismal rite. And it comes right after parents and, and sponsors have been admonished and instructed about the Christian upbringing they are to provide for their children. It's this. God enable you to do this faithful and loving work. By His grace, may He fulfill what we are unable to do. I just love that. May He, may he fulfill what we are unable to do. No matter where you are on life's road, no matter where your kids are on life's road, Jesus will always be with you. He will never leave you. He will be with you. And he will do, and he has already done, what you cannot. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.